Welcome back to the Form IPLJ podcast. I'm your host, Patrick Ho. On today's episode, IPLJ staff member Janine Batway talks to Michael Gollin, who works as senior counsel at Complex Media. Together, they explore the different career paths that Michael Gollin took to get to his current position, as well as what it's like to be an in-house counsel for a media company. I hope you guys enjoy this episode. <laughs> IPLJ podcast. My name is Janine Botway. I'm a second year student and an IPLJ staff member. Today we are graced with the wisdom and presence of Mr. Michael Goblin, who currently works as a senior counsel at Complex Media. Hi, Michael. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. Um, just to get started off, would you mind introducing yourself? Sure. Uh, Michael Goblin, senior counsel, business and legal affairs for Complex Media. I've worked at Complex uh, about a year and a half. Before that, I was in private practice, mostly in Los Angeles as an entertainment attorney. Awesome. Thanks for the introduction. So sure. I guess to get started off, how did you how did you get to this space? To Complex? Or to the legal space and then to Complex, if you want to talk about that as well. <clears throat> so I decided to go to law school a couple of years after graduating from GW. I was a finance major in the real estate business and the economy was horrible so I was you know deciding whether I go to law school or get my MBA like almost everybody else so I went to law school really because I was very entrepreneurial and I knew that getting the law degree would help me in all of my entrepreneurial endeavors um, and then you know when I got into law school I had to work uh, to pay for it and I found some friends who knew some lawyers in Los Angeles. I was already in California. Uh, and those jobs were mostly with litigators. Okay. So I learned how to be a litigator while I was in law school. And then my practice after law school just progressed into business transactions and litigation. And then eventually music and entertainment. All right. So... How do you feel as if your experiences while you were in law school shaped um, the type of lawyer that you became when you graduated? Um, yeah, I mean, my experience in law school, I guess, uh, you know, definitely opened my eyes to how competitive the legal field is. Um, I was not really an academic kind of a person. Um, <laughs> so, you know... <laughs> For me, it was really a means to an end, getting my law degree. It was yeah. a very specific, I never saw the law as a profession. I saw it as a part of me in business. Um, and so I guess, uh, you know, I don't know. I, you know, I, I got a lot out of law school because I, I was able to retain a lot of very specific skills mm. that I knew instinctively. To pay attention to, I don't know, you know, how it just was, you know, I guess coming into it from the way I came into it, you know, I probably heard things differently than, than most. Yeah. I think that that's like a really interesting point. I, I myself feel as if I look at the law education and the legal education that I'm getting right now as tools that I'm putting in my toolkit or my toolbox. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that I'm realizing as I, look up people on LinkedIn and just have conversations with various people in the legal community that there's just so much you can do with the legal degree. 
um, that I think yeah. it's really flexible in like the evolution of where your career could potentially go. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think you know they always say law school teaches you how to think like a lawyer. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's true. It teaches you how to think you know critically and analytically and rationally when there's not a lot of rationality around you. Yeah. So you definitely are always like the calm. Well, I think that's that's just always been me, but I think that's, you know, I mean, you have a crazy client who's upset about something, the last thing they need is a lawyer who's a, who's too animated exactly. and too excitable. You know, you want to have energy and you want to be an advocate, but, you know, I was, I'm, I'm always more of a quiet yeah. tiger, I guess. Makes for good chemistry. Yeah. Especially in this industry. Yeah, I think so. So speaking more about that, how exactly did you get involved in the music business and entertainment law and expanding your own practice that you eventually established? So my first music, my first entertainment client, uh, and I was always I was always running my own legal office. I never, okay. I had a job at a law firm for about a year in Long Beach. It was a litigation firm, and you know when I was a younger guy, I was not. I, I knew very quickly I was not a very good employee. Um, <laughs> I needed to be on my own. I needed to do my own thing. So um, I met a young guy at a party who was doing music and sound effects for video games. Oh, cool. Yeah, it was. I didn't even know that was a thing. Yeah. I think my son was just maybe two years old at the time, so he wasn't quite there yet. But, yeah, um, yeah so I, you know, he asked me if I could help him on a deal. It was a contract, so, you know, as a solo practitioner, you're always saying yes, and then you figure it out. Yeah, that's what happens. Um, and it really was very straightforward. I called a couple buddies of mine who were music lawyers and said, you know, let me know if I'm missing anything. And then it just evolved from there, where I started getting more and more of his friends who were musicians. Okay. And they had friends who were actors and producers, and it really just evolved organically, um, my entertainment practice. And why did you, not to be too personal, but why do you think that you decided to transition from being a solo practitioner to now working in-house? And what did that It's a very like? simple answer for me. It's about job security okay. and financial security. Yeah. You know, being on your own and running your own business, everyone thinks that brings a lot of freedom. Yeah. When crazy. it does, but you know, <laughs> You're, you're always on, you know, it's your business. So you go home and at least for me, you know, you have to, you have a couple good months and you have to do it all over again. And then yeah. you have to chase clients to get paid and you have to deal with the IT guy or, or everything else of running a business. And it's yeah. great and it can be very fruitful um, and you can have a lot more freedom. Um, but the lack of security seems to balance that out. And I just was ready to, you know, go to go to work, get my get my paycheck, contribute a lot, but you know, want to just go home and not have to worry about everything else. Well, now you're so. on the general counsel route. I'm speaking it into existence. I know it's going to happen. What's that? <laughs> I'm speaking the general counsel. Like that's the route that you're on now. Uh, maybe, you know, <laughs> maybe. Who knows? Would you want that? Yeah, I, look, I you know, Mike. I've always looked at my career and what I want to do is, I, I want to do things that I enjoy. Yeah. So you know, if that means me becoming general counsel of a company, great. Um, you know, if that is something different, then that would be fine too. 
um, you know, quality of life is definitely a priority yeah, for me. definitely. I think that there's just so much that revolves around, like, mental health issues mm-hmm. um, and its intersection with lawyers that it's really interesting for me as I've gotten older. I've realized that if you're not happy um, with the work that you do or if you just mentally don't feel stable, it's not enjoyable regardless of how much money you you're making. You shouldn't do it. You yeah. really shouldn't. And the money can be, you know, a problem. Yeah. Yeah. Money, you know, to me, money is money should never be the why you make decisions. Yeah, it'll always end badly. Yeah, I, I've found. I mean, there's a few exceptions here and there, but it, you know, you make decisions based on reasons other than money. Definitely, chips go up, chips go down. That That's how I look true. at it. It's very true. Um, so I guess to move on, what do you feel like were some of the first deals you worked on as a lawyer? So you said you mentioned a contract that you worked on for the that was involved with it. Right, right. Some of the first deals? Yeah, or just in general. What do you think are some of the most exciting deals that you... Well, I mean, I know that when I was in law school, I was, you know, when I was working for friends of friends, I was actually drafting motions for summary judgment in my first year of law school. So that was pretty cool. You know, I was, I I came out of law school with knowing a trade, like, you know, really way ahead of the game. Um, But, you know, I mean, so... There's been some litigation that it's been pretty interesting that I've been involved in. Um, I don't. I stopped litigating, or I started winding down my litigation practice after a while. And on the on the downflow of that, I did a uh, cyber squatting case that was pretty interesting. Um, Yeah, it was uh, you know something that I had never done before. Um, Fairly straightforward legal principles. Federal court, which is always a lot better as a litigator dealing with federal judges. They're just more organized and things move better. Um, You know, I had a, when I, when I was at a law school, one of the lawyers that I had worked for in law school, he represented a plaintiff, um, which was the first same sex sexual harassment case brought. Oh, wow. I'm pretty sure it definitely brought in Los Angeles, I think, wow, in the country. It was crazy. female to female. Yeah. And it involved uh, John Peters, who's a big movie producer. You're way too young. Yeah, you never know who he is. is. Uh, the movie <laughs> the movie Shampoo. Have you ever heard of that movie? I feel like I've seen... John Peters was a hairdresser. Okay. Who became hugely successful entertainment executive. Oh, wow. Columbia Pictures, Sony, as high as you could go, okay. still doing it. Oh, wow. Good or bad, yeah. uh, he's you know like, is you know so he came to his deposition in his fur coat and his glasses. I mean he was oh, wow. the classic Hollywood dude. Yeah. Um, so you know that was crazy. Yeah. <laughs> um, a lot of character. Yeah, and I was just out of law school. And I'm like, oh my god, that's just wild. Um, yeah. And then you know some deals that I've done that have been interesting. I, I represented, and he's still a good friend of mine, a guy named Jerry Schilling. Who uh, is Elvis Presley's one of Elvis Presley's best friends? Super cool. Ran the Elvis Presley Enterprises for a while. Oh wow! Um, so Jerry wrote a book called "Me and a Guy Named Elvis." Uh, he came to me to do a, a film option for that book. That didn't end up happening, but then Jerry was with Elvis when he met Richard Nixon. So you know, we he was involved in the Nixon Elvis movie with Kevin Spacey. So I got that to do that deal. And then another deal with Jerry and Priscilla Presley, where the the Elvis anthology on HBO 
that's on right now called The Seeker. Uh, was a very difficult deal to get done. Wow. Yeah, um, but a very now. proud, a very, very cool story. Elvis, I've come to know, you know, just a really bright, interesting guy. So, yeah, yeah that was, those out. were a few that were really cool. And I had this other client, her name is Doris Payne. She's a career jewel thief um, who uh, wow. ended up um, getting arrested and uh, really sad but interesting story. Lionsgate is now putting that movie together, but, you know, it's wow. taking a long time. But um, just very interesting. You meet, you meet interesting people when you're a lawyer, especially... In all areas of law, especially the entertainment industry. Oh, absolutely. So that's really cool. It seems like you've kind of been able to merge and marry different types of law, which I think is like definitely a very, very interesting thing. And like you said, especially in entertainment, that you get a little bit of everything. Like yeah. here, I've had projects that like include employment thrown at me, and then transactional right. work and business affairs and IP, which I think sometimes when you go down the straight and narrow paths or even mm-hmm. to other specialties. It's very focused on that specific type of work. Yeah, yeah. Um, when I was starting out as a lawyer, you were supposed to do very few things. You know, you're supposed to, you were either an entertainment lawyer or you were an employment lawyer or you're a corporate lawyer. You know, when you're a solo practitioner, you got to make money. So you yeah. do, you end up doing a lot of things. So I guess I would, you know, and now it's, you know, that's what everyone does. You go to law firms and they do everything, yeah. so I guess I was ahead of the curve a little bit. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> By necessity. <laughs> that's the hustle in you. Yeah. Um, so, why don't you talk a little bit about like what you do here at Complex? So, here at Complex, I oversee all of our content development, production, distribution. Um, so wait for people who don't know a little bit about complex, will you explain sure. a little bit about a business model? So complex is a digital publisher. Um, we produce video content, um, editorial articles, everything that we create lives on our website or our social media platforms. And then we, you know, we will also do what's known as branded content. So Nike, Adidas, or some vodka company wants to create a video series to promote their brand. We will produce, create, and produce that content for them. Um, we also have uh, live events that we do for brands. We have Complex Con, which is just a huge uh, annual festival where um, the culture meets, basically, the sneaker and hip-hop culture. Yeah. Uh, Complex, you know, from it started out as a magazine. Print magazine. Yes, and I remember when it was a magazine. I was a very little girl then. I had never heard of Complex before I started working. Oh, really? There, so, yeah, wow. I didn't know about it. Um, and then I told my nieces I was going to work at Complex, and all of a sudden I was the cool <laughs> uncle. Cool uncle. Um, but yeah, this is you know it's an extremely exciting company. You know we are really leading the way uh, in a lot of areas in digital content advertising. You know um, that that whole world. Yeah, I definitely think that it's really interesting that, like, I feel like we're living in an influencer age, um, and it's really interesting to see how we sit in marketing meetings or, like you said, ad sales meetings, and Complex is actually not only contracting these Fortune 500 companies to do business with, but 
then being a liaison to then go out and actually seek talent that these then companies can use to feature right. in their advertisements um, or to do marketing right. campaigns. It used companies. to, I mean, it really has become, it used to be where you had ad agencies who would then hire companies like a complex to create mm. the content. Got now it. it's all yeah, it's becoming one. The agency and the and the content creators are really just one company. Yeah. So what do you think some of the most exciting projects you've worked on have been? And can you talk a little bit about like what you did for ComplexCon, which was huge. Sure. Yeah, well ComplexCon is uh, incredible. I mean, you know, we had this year in Long Beach we had over sixty thousand people show wow. up in a weekend. Yeah, it's big. From all over the world. Um, and it's a huge commercial enterprise there's brands that you know it's almost like a trade show meets you know can or sundance film festival meets Lollapalooza. yeah you know it's just all of that it's you know sneaker companies having these special drops for complex con live stage where music is performing several of our shows that we produce regularly are being produced in the venue during the day and then there's also panel discussions with really amazing guests like Virgil Abloh and Issa Rae and uh, Tommy Hilfiger um, and just so many more others so there's a a ton of activity going on at ComplexCon and so you know for me aside from doing the ad sales deals I pretty much do everything else so Everything that's every, anytime there's a camera rolling or someone's being recorded, yeah, that's something that I touched. Um, but then I also deal with the deal with the venue and our partner. I really oversee that part as well. So, Reed Expedi- Expeditions or Exhibitions is our partner. They're a huge company. They do uh, Comic Con New York. Oh wow! Yeah. So you know, I deal with the partnership part with them. Yeah. And then also the execution of the actual events. So right now we just announced we're doing Chicago in July, first yeah, time. Be so exciting! Yep. Yeah. So we're doing we're going to do two a year now, Chicago and Long Beach. Okay. And we're also looking at uh, other places overseas to potentially expand. Oh wow! Yeah, I mean millions and millions of dollars gets transacted in a weekend at ComplexCon, and it started. You know, it only started. This is our third one. Yeah. No, it, the following for the brand in itself is just mind-boggling. But I think for me, it was really crazy that when I started working here around ComplexCon or after ComplexCon, my friends were, like, sending me screenshots of how much items that were sold at yeah. um, the trade show were going for online. And I just was like, what? People are paying thousands of dollars for, yeah. like, decks, which yeah. is, like, in, I mean, it's art, so I get it. Um, but I just was like, wow, yeah. I would have never thought that like this it's intellectual crazy. property really means this much to so many people. It's crazy. It's really cool. Uh, Takashi Murakami is, you know, one of the ambassadors with Pharrell. And I mean, Murakami, just seeing him, he's just one of those iconic people yeah. that he's on a different planet. I mean, yeah. you know, just look at that guy and it's, it's just wild. I it mean, is. just what comes out of his brain and he creates things and. He's like a kid walking around ComplexCon in his outfit. Yeah, you know? sure. I mean, it's it's crazy. So, so that's a big part of what I do. And then I just, um, you know, I deal with all the talent deals and co-productions that we do for our shows and all of our branded content. Um, we also distribute our library content off our platform. So it deals with Netflix or Amazon or Hulu or... 
of Zumo and Pluto and all these other digital platforms, Snapchat, um, Facebook, all of those deals are, are what I handle. That's great. It's nice because it's like you still are getting such a variety of yeah the space. And I feel as if because technology is ever-evolving, it's always something new that you're learning. Yeah, the, the digital media space is really, it's like every week there's something new that could pop up. It's cool. Yeah. So what's your least favorite part of your job? <laughs> <laughs> Let's see. Or just least, being a lawyer. Yeah, no, my least favorite part of my job. Um, I don't know. It's not really the job itself. I guess, you know, the only thing that's sort of a bummer is, you know, you work in a place like this and it feels like this fun startup and then, you know, you're reminded that two huge corporations own this company, Hearst and Verizon, and then yeah. you try to do something and like, oh, okay, yeah, I remember now that that's not okay. <laughs> so, you know, I have to do things a certain way. Um, yeah. yeah, I guess, you know, that, there's really not much that I don't like about my job. Yeah. It's the most fun I've ever had as a lawyer. That's I feel very awesome. fortunate. Yeah, that's it's fun. Great. I mean, I, I get up in the morning and I... I'm excited to be here. Yeah. And it's not just to get away from my kids. Yeah. Shout out to the kids that you love. You talk about I do the love them, yes. Tova and Asher. And my wife, Michelle. Oh. So. Um, so what do you think is your favorite part of your job? I, the people here. You know, everybody here is young, mostly. Um, friendly, creative, smart. Um, you know, there's it's just always exciting and fun here so there's nobody here that i've met who's you know downer or negative or nasty or mean or you know it's just uh it's really a great environment yeah no it was really funny i was having a conversation with my mom just about how important it is that you like the people you work with and i think that when you're younger you think like i don't care about that i just Mm want to make money and i want to have a cool job and a cool title but then you get into the workplace and you realize that you hate the people you're spending the majority of your time with during the day it, it really puts a damper on your ability to well yeah function i mean you got to do what you got to do sometimes yeah. but um again that quality of life issue you know yeah. i mean it's something that i didn't really focus on as much when i was younger you know so i'm sure you know maybe something that you sort of grow into more but i feel like younger people are more and more focused on that yeah or just even like uh work flexibility like it's really nice that I realized mm-hmm. here we have summer um, Fridays and they have them at Viacom as well which is just right. like it really shows that businesses and companies are understanding that employees being happy um, and feeling as if their work is, is meaningful mm-hmm. and they're being rewarded for the work that they're doing is really important like who doesn't want to get off early on yeah yeah well Friday. I think that's also a function of you know you can be more independent these yeah. days, whether you're a creator, you know, you, you have the internet, you don't need a big studio to produce or distribute yeah. your content. You're a lawyer, you know, you can really be independent. You don't, yes, you want to work for a company when has that security, but Absolutely. I think companies are realizing more and more that really the value of, of uh, the employees is really something that is not just a talking point. Yeah. Okay, so I have a couple more questions. Kay. We're at... 23 minutes. All right. Um, you talk a lot. <laughs> <laughs> so I know this is a conversation that we have all of the time, um, but I want you to talk a little bit about your own opinion of um, 
working in-house out of law school and working at a firm and just what you think the pros and cons to those experiences I think are. I think it's good for lawyers to get that law firm experience. I think it can help in your everything that you do after that. I think it's hard to uh, I think you miss I think you miss something and as a lit, I was a litigator, so I, yeah. you know, I really felt like I got a lot out of that, especially in my transactional work. You know, knowing how to deconstruct a contract yeah. when you're, you know, at trial, it's very different than sitting in an office and not really knowing what this really means, although you've seen it a thousand times. Yeah. Um, so I, you know, I don't know. I mean, I think, I think a lot of people, a lot of lawyers say, you know, you should have that law firm experience before you go in house, but. You know, I've as you can tell, I've never really taken the straight and narrow path. Yeah. My path has always been winding, so I think you make what you make of everything. But you know, I think that law firm experience is is very unique. Yeah, you know, you don't get that kind of structure and training, uh, training yeah. I guess, and you know, and those other experiences at an in-house job. You just don't, yeah. you just don't run across a lot of the things you'll see in a law firm and have to do. So. You know, you may be missing out on that experience. Yeah, I definitely feel as if my summer experience working at the IP boutique firm was meaningful, just in like even teaching you the tedious things, like how to talk to a client. Right. Um, but I've I've realized in all the experiences that I've had thus far, and clearly I'm still very very junior, um, is that it's really important just to have great teachers. And I think that like you've been an amazing teacher. Oh, thank um, you. And I think that it's just really interesting that if you have people that are willing to stop and say, hey, this is a learning point. Let's talk about how this could have been better, right. or let's talk about the way I would have done this. Right. Um, allows for you to kind of like put new notches in your belt and. You know, take yeah. advice and really allow for it to shape the way that you decide to work. Absolutely. Forward. It makes all the difference. And I, you know, I do that because I know that it meant a lot to me when I would meet, you know, more seasoned folks, whatever, whether they were lawyers or not, that, yeah. you know, and also the ones who were not very nice, you yeah. know, and realizing just how shitty that is and, and not wanting to be that person. Yeah. And I think that it also just makes you appreciate great leaders. More. Yeah, you lead. Yeah, I mean, I think. Yeah, I agree. You, you know, in order to be a good leader, you have to motivate people, and I don't think you really fully motivate people by bashing them down. Yeah, absolutely. They're absolutely. just they're just surviving and yeah, looking for the end. No, it's really funny because I feel like sometimes I'll talk about you outside of the office, like, oh my god, I love my boss Michael. He's so great, and they're like, he's a boss. Like, why do you right, like him? Right. Like, you don't see him after work hours, right. but it's just really meaningful to know that you come to work well, and you're good. appreciated. Um, and I think that's a unique thing that I think millennials take it for granted because a lot of mm. us don't have a ton of work experience before we then come into the workplace. Mm -hmm. So we start complaining out the gate like this is horrible right, but right. you don't have anything to compare it to right. so when you do have multiple experiences and you then can compare your experiences it, you you start to really appreciate the good apples <laughs> yeah no look I thank you and I'm glad and I I make you know that's intentional you know I mean when I moved up to Los Angeles to decide when I decided I was going to go to law school I was still trying to you know I was taking the LSAT or yeah I was taking the LSAT I think I was still applying yeah <clears throat> I got a job working in the mailroom at a huge law firm in downtown L.A. Oh, wow. And the secretaries wouldn't even look me in the eye. Yeah. So I think a lot of the way I treat people is because I've, I've experienced 
some really nasty, lame people. Yeah. And I just, you know, that was never who I wanted to be. So, yeah. you know, those experiences shaped me in the other direction. Definitely. Um, so to start wrapping this up, uh, let's talk a little bit about just general career advice that you have for our listeners. Um, I, you know... If you can, I think if you can find something that you're really interested in in the law, um, then you should really try to focus on that and not just chase the money. Yeah. I think that you'll, the money will come when you do something that you really enjoy. I think, you know, people think that's a cliche, but it's not. Um, you know, I would say don't. Don't do things because everyone else is doing them. Don't follow, you know, the sheep. Um, try to think of other better ways, things, ways to improve things. I think, you know, what you, what I have found since coming to work for Complex and, you know, being in meetings with, you know, a lot of corporate folks who I never really would be in meetings with before is they really emphasize, um, you know, ingenuity in the workplace you know that's something that is really something that you know you'd hear about but you know it, it's 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 a topic of conversation here you know at every meeting that i'm in wow. and i think you really if you want to really set yourself apart that's what you have to do in this world in, yeah. you know in any industry but i think lawyers you know historically i don't think really ever had to think that way no. you know you'd be a lawyer and this is what you do as a lawyer and you know, you you just do the same thing that everyone else does. But you know, if you if you watch the folks in the world, lawyers and not lawyers, who are you know the leaders of the world in yeah. their field, I feel like you know you see those are people that take chances and um, you know they see things a certain way and and they're not going to be denied and be tenacious and all that. And I I, I just you know. Never, never accept uh, um, nastiness, I guess, from from other lawyers. You know, um, <laughs> I used to, you know, as as someone who went to a you know lower tier law school, I went to Whittier Law School in, in California, in Los Angeles, and when I was litigator, I knew that I was going to win as soon as I felt that the other lawyer was underestimating me because I went where I went to law school. Wow. Because the law is the law, yeah, right? The law is the law. I mean, I don't care if you go to Emory, Harvard, or Whittier. You're not learning different law, no, right? Not. So it's it's about you as a advocate. And I knew that I was tenacious, and I knew the law. If I know the law, and then someone's underestimating me, and I know the facts, you know, I, that was always something that I I would just key in on. So I would just say. Don't underestimate your opponent. Yeah. Um, and don't don't um, don't get too comfortable, I guess, especially in litigation. You know, but I don't know if that's something that you want to do. I don't think you want to do that. But I think in any, you know, yeah. you, you know, attention to detail is, is very important. Yeah, we talk about that all the time. Yep, <laughs> it is. Um, I don't know. I think that's enough advice. Yeah. <laughs> you should just write a book. Obviously. You know what? I should. <laughs> you really Isn't should. I'm, I'm speaking a book. This is a verbal book. <laughs> well, to wrap it up, our final question that we've been asking all of our podcast guests is, what's your favorite piece of IP that's new and out or just in general? Oh, right. 
You told me you were going to ask me this. I remember what I said last time. Um, and I still, that's still my answer. The Geico Camel Hump Day commercial that's come back. That, 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 Mike, 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 Mike. Yeah. That is uh, something that uh, I really get a kick out of. Yeah. Yeah. So, I don't know. I feel like those commercials are timeless. It's just so nice that They're they have so an clever. that they can just pull from at any time. Yeah, the Geico. It, it's a yeah. hit again. I, when I, I used to share space with a firm uh, in L.A. They have an office in New York, too. Um, Abrams Garfinkel, pretty well-known firm in real estate here. and uh, Good firm. And um, they, Bill Abrams, who is a really good guy, he represented Flo. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. That's huge. Yeah. Pretty, pretty cool. So That's dope. That brings it all together. Yeah, it does. So, yeah. There you go. What's your favorite? My favorite piece of IP right now, oh my God, I am an avid Chicago Southside girl and I just finished reading Becoming by Michelle Obama and she talks about the art of swerving and I think we talked about this already. She talks about how Barack Obama taught her the art of swerving, which is basically like you discussed, creating your own lane um, and being comfortable consistently reflecting on what your passions are and what road you want that to lead you down. Um, And I think... Being in law school and being a typical person that is used to doing well in academic settings, I've always been kind of just a box checker. Like, if I get this GPA and this LSAT score and this job, then life's going to be perfect. And you start getting older and you realize that that equation isn't necessarily the right math. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, I think that's my... That's cool. Personal best piece. I'm glad someone recommended that you go watch her speak. Wasn't that? Didn't someone like force yes. you to do that? Yes. Someone in this room? Somebody did. You're welcome. Well, thank you so much for meeting <laughs> with us. Um, that's going to sum up our IPO Day podcast for tonight. And thanks again, Mike. My pleasure. My pleasure. The Forum Intellectual Property, Media and Entertainment Law Journal is a publication staffed by students of Fordham Law School. Our faculty moderator is Mark Patterson. Our Volume 29 editor-in-chief is Jeffrey Greenwood. Our managing editor is Michael Rivera. A special thanks to Janine Batway and Michael Gala for making this episode possible. Please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts so you don't miss a single episode. You can follow us at our Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Fordham IPLJ. You can also visit our website at FordhamIPLJ.org for our daily content. I'm your online editor, Patrick Poe. Thank you for listening and see you next week.